It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates, as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show uh, two uh, co-directors uh, of Healing the Nation, Jack Major and Ernest Maton, or Maton, little uh, elder, little brown bear. It's a pleasure to have them here and uh, talk about their feeling, as I say, Healing the Nation. Uh, this uh, Healing the Nation is based on the Aboriginal healing program that uh, elder little brown bear um, reopened in 2012 uh, and renamed it uh, from the Toronto Day Withdraw Program, rebranding it as the Aboriginal Healing Program and uh, eliminating any intake process and granting it as a safe place uh, and for First Nation, Métis and Inuit persons to come and heal, hence healing the nation. Uh, it uh, What happened was that Jack uh, came to see what was going on he, he saw what was happening, and he was very taken with what the little brown bear was doing and uh, approached him with the idea of maybe making this into a documentary. And apparently, that conversation took off very quickly to become a very serious conversation about making this documentary. And after a couple of years of working on it, they came with this, uh, they, they developed this Healing the Nation uh, documentary. It uh, recently was shown at the Lindbergh uh, film, documentary film in Nova Scotia, uh, and uh, it will be shown later in October at the 16th to the 25th at the um, uh, Hamilton Art Gallery. So there's an opportunity for you to see that online. And I believe next year, uh, in early 2021, it's going to be shown uh, somewhere as well. We'll talk about that. But first of all, I'd like to welcome both Jack and uh, Elder Little Brown Bear to the show. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, say go on e, and, and it's a pleasure to have you here. So I tried to encapsulate the film a little bit. Um, Jack, why don't you introduce us a little bit more to the process about why you thought it was important uh, to approach uh, Elder Little Brown Bear on making this film? Yeah, well, to kind of give a bit of a backstory, I, I met Elder Little Brown Bear because my mother was attending the program. So... Oh. That was actually my close connection. Uh, my mom had called me one day asking me to come to the program for, it was it was a family circle that they were doing, I believe, right, Brown Bear? Yeah, it was. And she had called me and said, hey, do you want to come, do you want to come attend the circle with me? And I had no idea what to expect. I'm, you know, I'm myself, I'm not Aboriginal. Um, I had no idea what to expect. And I thought, well, this seems like an interesting opportunity i would love to to learn more about this program that she's starting to attend and she was living in toronto at the time and uh so i went and i attended this circle and i i was just so taken by some of the people that i was able to meet um brown bear right away when i walked in into the into the aboriginal healing program he hugged me heart to heart and he was so um Ah, he was just so good to me. He was so kind. And I could see how kind he was to the people who were coming into the program, my mother. And I was able to sit down with him before, get to know him. And uh, 
And when I went to the circle, I just, I got my first experience of, of smudging. I learned what smudging was. I had mm. no idea what it was before. <laughs> um, I, I got to talk a little bit about some of the things I was going through at the time. And I got to hear my mom speak. And at the time, my mom and I were a little distant. So Brown Bear kind of just brought us back together. And my mom, I had never seen, uh, I had never seen her do so, so well in her recovery. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my, my first, first experience with Brown Bear. And, uh, that was what, what drove me to, to keep, you know, pursuing this idea. I mean, as a filmmaker, I, I'm always looking for stories to tell, but this one, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't turn away from it. Interesting. Um, what was it that you saw? I know it obviously felt uh, uh, there was something that jumped out at you uh, mm-hmm. from that experience. Obviously, can you can you tell us a little bit more about why you thought this this would have impact on the, on a greater uh, audience? Because my mom at the time was, I mean, previous to that, she had done quite a few recovery programs and and been in and out of different rehabilitation programs that weren't cutting it. They weren't giving her the care that she needed. And I think that what the Aboriginal healing program offers is an alternative approach to what our current medicine is giving people, like our, our current system is giving people to heal from trauma and mental health. And my mom does suffer from trauma. And I still do think to this day, um, are we, we, there's a lot we don't understand about trauma and we're still learning about it. And I think what I saw in the Aboriginal healing program was it was a safe space. And that's not to say that other programs don't offer that. It's, there was just a, there was, there was a community, I guess, aspect to the Aboriginal healing program, or there is rather that I think it goes beyond what, what other, programs can, can offer. And I think I wanted to see that this, this program get more recognition because I think that it is actually, uh, I want, I don't want to say a modern approach because it's not modern. I mean, (laughs) these traditions have been around longer than, than we have. So it's, it's taking older traditions and incorporating them into modern medicine and, and finding that hybrid model. And I just thought that, if, if more people could see this, if more even and, and policymakers and, and health could see this and integrate it, I think that we would see a huge improvement in our mental health and addictions uh, issues in Canada. Interesting comments. I, I thank you for sharing that because it's where I was trying to lead you. And, and I'm, I'm glad you made all those comments because it really sounds like, as you say, these are old traditional uh, approaches, nothing new, but they've been omitted, they've been overlooked, and they haven't been given the recognition, as you say, that they can, they can help people. And it seems in Western society and Western medicine, uh, unless you have a PhD at the end of your name, uh, people aren't necessarily going to look at you and take you necessarily seriously, if that mm-hmm. makes some sense to you guys. Absolutely. So, uh, Little Brown Bear, Elder Little Brown Bear, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, in 2012, when you when you reopened the Toronto Day with Drop program, 
rebranding it as the Aboriginal Healing Program. Uh, what made you think to want to rebrand it and, and reopen it? Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, it wasn't a withdrawal program. And um, it was uh, uh, people were coming there not to withdraw. They were coming there to get healing mm. and, uh, you know, to, to learn about traditions. And, uh, and so blending, you know, Aboriginal teachings with Western information uh, to help individuals on their journeys, teach them about the seven grandfathers mm. and the medicine wheel and forgiveness and grieving process and building healthy relationships. So all of those things, which the program uh, at the time when I was told um, it was doing the best that it was, but it wasn't a withdrawal program. It mm. needed to be a healing program for, for the Aboriginal um, individuals and community members. Okay. As it's described, it says that um, that the film, uh, Healing the Nation, follows members of the program as they reconnect with their culture, explore current and past unresolved issues, and their participation in helping a local Toronto hospital on their journey to truth and reconciliation. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, about the uh, Toronto Hospital and the truth and reconciliation. But let's explore this idea more. It sounds to me like it's a very open uh, a program, and, and am I am I correct in that anyone could attend? Is is it just for Métis, Inuit, and and First Nation people, or are non-Indigenous people welcome as well? So um, non-Aboriginal people uh, can attend. So they attend the uh, the circles at night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those that are married to Aboriginal people, mm. uh, they get to learn the tradition, so they can carry it on with their children. So they're also welcome. The day uh, during the day is strictly for the uh, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit uh, community members. Okay. So there's no time limit on this, I understand. No, when I first took over, um, it was a 21 day, um, and so I got rid of that because for me. Uh, David, there is no time limit on a healing journey. Sure. And um, there's no waiting list. If a person calls, we schedule an intake and they start the very same day. And it's it's an ongoing program. So the limit sometimes or the window of opportunity for people that want to get healing sometimes is very small. So removing those barriers Mm -hmm. helps that person on their journey. Do you think that the fact uh, what Jack mentioned early on about how he saw how you cared that caring uh, he he noticed that right away with you and what and how you you uh, took care of these people how much how how important is that the caring part uh, about making sure that that people feel that they are personally being looked after so my philosophy has always been this is people don't care how much you know, but they want to know how much you care. Mm. And that starts that healing process is showing that you truly care about that person that's in front of you. You care about them. And so part of it is you heal the person, then they help to heal their family, then they help to heal the community, then the community helps to heal the nation. Mm. But it starts with that person coming into the program, knowing that they're welcome. There's no judgment. Okay. Um, so when you decided to make this film, what and how did you guys approach it in terms of uh, wanting to make sure that you captured the essence of, of, of the process and the people and making sure that what you 
saw uh, taking part and and being uh, exchanged in this program, that it would, one, make sure that that came out and and that people watching this would understand and get that sense. But also, I guess you had to take care of the people within the film themselves. They had to feel protected. They had to feel secure in doing this. Um, yeah, I think, I think that the approach too was, I mean, the way that we approached the, the documentary itself and how we made it technically was, um, was feeling, I, I just kind of came in there with my camera and I filmed and I was part of the, part of the circle. I didn't want to make it anyone seem like they were, uh, put on the spot or anything. And I did make sure that everyone was super comfortable talking because the short stories that they share in here are extremely personal and, and anybody who did speak is, is, is brave to have put that story out there into the world. Cause I know that's not easy. Um, but we were very, very careful about that. And, um, and so like every time I would come into, every time I would come into the room, I would feel very welcomed by the members. And I knew because I was welcomed by the community, um, I knew that I was okay to kind of be in there. Like I wouldn't have just gone in there if I didn't have any previous connection. Like mm. I think that that's so important. <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's so important making any sort of documentary is, is being connected to your subjects and making them feel comfortable um, because they're not going to, they're not going to open up to you. And they opened up to me because I, I see them as my family. I still to this day see them as my family. I want to visit them as much as possible. If I live far from Toronto, but if I was in Toronto, I'd probably go and see Elder Little Brown Bear every week if I could. Right, uh, Little Brown Bear is is this um, is this program? It's a daily program. Yeah, it's uh, nine nine to uh, to uh, three thirty every day, Monday to Friday. That. That uh, that's a fairly heavy uh, schedule for yourself to to uh, manage and and uh, go through every day. Especially, how long has this been going on now? Uh, so I took over 2012. So when I first took over the program, the first uh, two years, uh, my commute was uh, six hours a day, three oh. hours there, three hours back. Wow. And then uh, after two years, I sort of smartened up and I moved closer <laughs> to Barry. Now it's only four hours a day. And, you know, it's about a commitment. It's, um, you know, a job is something you hate to go to. This Mm. is a calling. So I'm sometimes up there on the weekends as well doing ceremonies or if uh, some of the community members are in crisis, I go up and I see them on the weekend as well. So this becomes a calling, not a job. Right. Understood. And and is that, uh, do you think that because of that and, and what the people go through, I noticed that, for instance, uh, the the participants they they build a sweat lodge. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, they did. And and why is that important for them to go through that process of of building this uh, this uh, sweat lodge? So it's about community. Uh, you know, if they build a sweat lodge together. It shows how work that they can they can work to, together and they help one another as they're building that sweat lodge. They get to talk with one another. They get to share stories. And sharing our personal stories really helps uh, individuals to heal on those journeys. Mm. Over the years, how how many people do you think may have passed through the the, the program? Oh my goodness, um, I'd have to say thousands. Uh, we do about about almost four hundred intakes a year, between three hundred and fifty and four hundred intakes a year. 
Um, now, some of those are repeat because sometimes people don't get on their journey the first time. Sure. But you know what? You know, they keep coming back and they, they, they keep pursuing that. So, um, yeah, I'd say thousands, I guess, uh, throughout my time there. Hmm. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Pleasure to have with me here on the show. Uh, two co-directors of a film, a documentary film called Healing the Nation, and directors uh, Jack Major, as well as uh, Elder Little Brown Bear are here on the show. And we're talking about the, the documentary uh, based on the program that Elder Little Brown Bear uh, runs and uh, helps people to uh, reconnect as well as uh, heal. Uh, Elder Little Brown Bear, you said that right off the top. That this is not uh, a withdrawal program; it's a healing program. Now, people that come there, they're they're healing from a- any number of addictions. I'm guessing from addictions, from trauma, from mental well-being. My philosophy around that is trauma drives a lot of the addictions and the mental well-being issues. Working through those traumas helps a person uh, to come back onto their healing journeys. Uh, trauma drives a lot of things, and mm-hmm. I think that's overlooked a lot of the times. We always hear about uh, mental health and addictions, mental health and addictions, but I think we seem to forget that trauma drives a lot of this stuff. So when they come in, uh, they start dealing and working through their traumas, practicing forgiveness, uh, the grieving process, building relationships with themselves, walking mm-hmm. in the seven grandfathers, using the medicine wheel as uh, harmony and balance to help themselves on those journeys. and. Once their traumas that they start working through, uh, they find themselves, they're not using drugs or alcohol or food addictions uh, to escape the pain anymore. They're actually able to talk about it and to help another person on that journey. Yeah, that's, that's of course, makes a whole lot of sense um, when you think about how trauma can, of course, do all of those things and, and affect people. One of the things mentioned in... in the film is is about blood memory blood memory uh, when i think of of blood memory and how it's how it relates to what you're doing here it has it has i two things come to mind one is the 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 one thing that you talked about trauma uh the trauma of of residential schools the trauma of just the treatment of indigenous people in canada uh over the years and how that um, that has that blood memory. Um, the second thing about blood memory is is the attachment to the traditional values that have been lost. Can you expand on the blood memory for us and and how you see that as being important in all of this? Well, the intergenerational uh, traumas uh, impacts on uh, on the generations. Um, the, um, the loss of the culture, the loss of songs, the loss of our dance, the loss of our language, all of those things played a factor. Um, and for some people that didn't, that didn't go to residential schools or the day schools, they still felt some of that effect down the road. And so dealing with those things and, you know, 
them working through those things with their families and with themselves, first of all, once they can have an understanding of the traumas that they endured, um, whether directly or indirectly, then they're able to heal from that. Mm. Speaking of healing, Jack, from your from the way you described your introduction to this through your mother and coming to the, the circle, this sounds, one, like it was educational for you, but it also sounds like it was healing somehow for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, my introduction to brown bear does feel kind of um, serendipitous. And just knowing that 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 program existed uh, created a created a safety in, in, in my life, in my in my circle. <laughs> and um, I do think that the learning process that I've I've gone through in creating this documentary, I've learned so much from from day one. I mean, we started creating this documentary in 2018 mm-hmm. and I mean, it started out as what was only supposed to be a small thing because I was only exploring a small topic. I was only exploring this, um, I guess the, the journey of somebody who was going through this program, but I ended up learning so much about healing practices and, and the sharing circles and, um, just these different, uh, the seven grandfather teachings, the medicine wheel, I, I had smudging. I didn't know absolutely any of this. And I, and there is one line in the, in the film where, um, uh, I can't remember who says it. I think, uh, says that this is a journey for all Canadians. This film is important, um, for all Canadians to see, um, because as Canadians, most Canadians, we don't know this about, um, Aboriginal culture. And we should be more in tune with that. And uh, yeah, just my journey from from the beginning till now, and my healing even going through and seeing some of the members um, from I I mean, I saw a couple of the members actually get their uh, uh, certificates at the end. That's actually in the film as well at the end when a couple of them that like Christian and I'm really close with him, and he got his certificate. And that was amazing to see because I had, I had met him many years before and to watch him kind of get that certificate was really amazing. And so the, the film itself was both a learning experience, but also a, a healing journey for myself. Yeah. You mentioned Christian getting his certificate. How do you think that affected him getting that after his journey? Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't, I don't even know how long Christian was in that program. If he's in the program for Brown Bear, how long? Uh, quite a few years. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that that was huge for him because he has this, his, his mom um, was also a huge support of him and and attended the program with him and as well as his partner. And um, I imagine, you know, just the, the success of him for him to be able to, to go through the whole program, but also for his family to see him and how, how, healthy he is both mind body and soul you know he just is truly such a good good man and to for him to receive that certificate and to witness that i was so proud uh, two questions one for jack and one for elder little brown bear uh, and it has to do with jack what what have you heard from the the viewings that took place uh from the first showing in nova scotia uh, kind of feedback and uh, Elder Little Brown Bear, for the people such as Christian who have graduated and received their certificate from the program, 
Um, I'd like to know what you have heard and what you are seeing from the people that have gone through the program and and move on. Because I'm guessing, as you said earlier, this is this is a way for people to heal, but then go to help heal their families and help heal their communities and help heal the nation. So, uh, Jack, we'll start with you. We got we actually got a we actually got a um, a shout out from the festival of the from the film. Uh, it's I think it was one of the more watched films uh, mm. on the virtual lineup. Just to put that out there, which is awesome. But uh, we I think we we got some amazing feedback. People said that they well they. I mean, to say people cried probably doesn't sound like amazing feedback, but <laughs> <laughs> um, what I mean is that it really touched people. Um, people who watched it felt that they were finally, their story was finally represented on screen or um, to see Brown Bear and, and healing with all these members. And, and it was a really touching experience, I think, for a lot of people. So, um, and it's moving. I've, I've shown it to um, a couple of people in, in my friend circle who, who said the same thing as me, where they they learn so much mm. that they know in the very beginning. And I think those are, those were the two things that we were kind of going for with the film. We were hoping to move people. Um, but we were also hoping to educate people. Mm. And from the feedback that we've been given, I think that we've, we've definitely certainly done that. Okay, great. Thank you. And elder little Brown bear, uh, from the, the people that have such as Christian that have graduated, what, what, what do you what have you seen and heard from from people like that? So um, Christian completed uh, the so there's a certificate of completion. And once the completion is done, then a year afterwards they graduate. So they're there for quite a while. And you know um, when when he first came in, he was like a lot of my command are are broken, and after a while they start to see a glint in their eye. And then they have what we call it's a good belly laugh. (laughs) And you know now that they're on their journeys. And, you know, for all of them, some people have come in, uh, lost their children. They now have their children back. They've had them back for the past six years. Their files have been closed. So for all those community members, they know that we provide the support before, during, and after. They become part of a family. They're alumni of the family for life. And so... They are, they're always coming back. They're calling in. Um, they're always volunteering whenever things have to, uh, are coming up. So, um, you know, one of the latest things is with Michael Guerin Hospital, um, Sarah Downey, um, we're actually hiring community members now at the hospital that have gone through the program uh, that are working um, at the hospital. So their journey has really come full circle with the program, with the hospital, and with their families. That's great to hear, and it, and it kind of ties in with the future, uh, what you're hoping for the future, and, and what you're hoping that, that this film might do in, in the future by, by sharing this program and sharing this, this story with people. Uh, does that tie in with the, the truth and reconciliation element that, that's referred to? Uh, for myself, like, so... The documentary speaks to the traumas and challenges uh, that the community members faced. And, you know, not only that, but that's been imposed on humans around the world. Mm. You know, through sharing their personal stories and traditional teachings, interconnect us through uh, the same mind and the same spirit. For us, our traditional teaching speaks to walking together in unity, to heal the pain and restore the dignity for one another to create a peaceful, harmonious place to live on Mother Earth 
And for me, through the reconciliation and reclamation, going through the grieving processes, the forgiveness, building healthy relationships, building unity, you know, the hope for me is we can leave a better future for our children, our grandchildren, and those yet to be born. Mm. That's what speaks to me for those community members. Jack, I'm not sure. I mean, and also just with the truth and reconciliation um, comment, it's, I think it's also watching um, Michael Guerin Hospital. I mean, they're, they're a front runner in what they're doing with healthcare and, and incorporating Aboriginal um, traditions into the hospital, like allow building sweat lodges on their property. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody else really doing that. Um, and they're on their truth and reconciliation journey and they have been on it for, I, I, I believe years now, and they're way ahead of the game. And the hope is that other hospitals will kind of follow along and, uh, you know, embark on their healing journey as well to, and, and to helping, uh, Aboriginal populations and giving them a space. It sounds like that that might be a great opportunity for this film to be shown maybe at hospitals or other uh, other places where uh, where there are trauma centers or or centers where uh, healing takes place uh, so that the 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 example that you're giving uh, can be shown and maybe encourage people to to uh, follow this path. Absolutely. I mean, it isn't it, it it's in a way can be an educational um, film for those for those People. And I and I think that's where our our direction would be going in the future is, um, you know, maybe uh, healthcare providers will use it as a tool to mm-hmm. um, educate future generations on on those practices. Right, Elder Little Brown Bear, your your sense of and hope for the future of this. Um, I think I would answer it this way: is I'm simply uh, a conduit in which the Creator works through. The community members are the biggest role models of this film. You know, those community members that um, practice every day the tools that they've been given to traditional teachings to help themselves and their families. Um, I think I would answer it that way. And they become our biggest role models. They become our greatest teachers uh, for the future. Mm. Nicely said. We'll have to leave it there, but it's been such a pleasure to have both of you on the show. Congratulations on the film. Uh, Elder Little Brown Bear, Bear, congratulations on this program and all the good that you're doing and helping that you are bringing forward for people in the community. And, and of course, Jack, uh, likewise, with, with what you have done in bringing the story forward and putting it into a documentary. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. Well, I say chimi gwich nyawagoa to you, Dave, for for allowing us to come on today. Um, it's very humbling. And I say uh, chimigwech for that. Chimigwech and yawagoa to you as well uh, for uh, coming on and sharing the story. And uh, people can now see that. Uh, it's going to be coming up on October 16th to the 25th at the Art Gallery of Hamilton Film Festival. And I'm sure that's going to be virtual, so people can uh, check that out online. Yes? That's correct. And then uh, later uh, in March of 2021... It's going to be shown at the Greater Northern International Film Festival as well. So if you miss it during the uh, Art Gallery of Hamilton, are there going to be other opportunities for this film to be shown? It, it's, it's, it's 
but you know, going through the the film festival circuit right now, so it's getting right. selection process. So there will pro- probably be many more coming up as well. And I'm sure if people want to find out more or get more details, they can go to the the Healing the Nation uh, website. You have a website, yes. Yes, missionandtheory.com. There is uh, a page for Healing the Nation. You can find out all the screenings uh, on there. All right, that's great. Gentlemen, once again, uh, thank you, Chimigwech Nyawagoa, for coming on the show, and uh, and all the best. Miigwech, thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, take care. That's Jack Major and uh, Ernest Matten, or Elder Little Brown Bear, talking to us about their film, Healing the Nation. And as I mentioned, uh, it's going to be shown at the Art Gallery of Hamilton coming up October 16th through the 25th. Please don't go away, because when we come back, we'll be speaking with Marion Crow, who's back on the show to update us on the virtual celebration event happening at the First Nations Health Managers Association. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to welcome back to Moment of Truth, Marion Crow. She's the CEO of the First Nations Health Managers Association, or the FNHMA. And she is here to discuss uh, Indigenous health care, as well as the virtual town, town hall series, which we, she was on the show talking about that earlier in the year after COVID hit. And uh, that was a series that ran. It ended. But given uh, the fact that, that now we're into the uh, this this second wave of COVID-19, uh, I guess they have found that there's a high demand for uh, more information to be given out. So, Marion, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back and Tonse Element listeners. <laughs> you know, um, why don't you bring us up to date a little bit on on the last uh, series of events and, and how well they did um, and, and what you learned from that experience? Certainly. Um, Well, of course, as you mentioned, we came on uh, at the end of March thinking, let's do one info session on what at the time was the coronavirus. And uh, that turned into 13 town halls about COVID-19, how to get credible, reliable, accurate information into the hands of people that need it right away. And I mean, we say we're being renewed for a second season. This isn't one of the things we want, but we are now in COVID-2 plus mm. flu season. Mm-hmm. And so we're back for another 13 uh, town halls. And, and now the thing is that the reason you, you decided to do this was because although there was a lot of information getting out at the time uh, on COVID-19, a lot of that information was not being directed to First Nation communities or First Nation people at that at that time. Is that correct? A lot of people were having trouble accessing relevant and credible information. Um, we all know what Facebook's like to get information. Mm. So we wanted to use the network that we have to get to those hardworking, dedicated health managers, health leaders, keeping our nation safe. Mm. And this was a once a week uh, town hall kind of thing, correct? Uh, 
Yes, every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern, we were live on air with all of our partners, um, broadcasting on radio stations like Element FM and others. And of course, now we're back uh, doing our town halls until uh, the second week of December. Yeah, and I understand you had uh, quite a number of people. Uh, it was well-received, uh, the, the, the town halls. It was well-received. We were having live viewers in the neighborhoods of 15 to 20,000. And those were people that were watching during the hour, not including all of the folks who had Facebook parties to watch, um, also all of the radio stations. So it was an overwhelming response. We kind of thought we would have maybe 50 health directors <laughs> tune in. And it turned out to be non-Indigenous audiences watching as well. That's great. That's that's wonderful and, and good to hear. Uh, with with that kind of success um, and, and that many people uh, tuning in, you, you talked about getting valid information shared. I imagine that helped in terms of those organizations talking to each other as well. Absolutely. We have seen so many collaborations, partnerships, unlikely partners that are coming together during this global crisis to make sure that we are ensuring quality services, information, and the accuracy on what's being put out. We're really thankful to have a strong partnership with many organizations, but one in particular uh, are partners at Indigenous Services Canada who have a guest on every single week to talk about the numbers and the cases that are being confirmed in our nations. What do you think it is that by doing these town halls that people are receiving uh, from them that is is sort of cutting through some of the confusion and, and some of that misinformation or, or just the you know, the, as you say, that, that, that huge amount of, of information that's out, say, on Facebook, and, and it just helps to declutter this stuff so they can, they can get the, the real facts. Well, we try to do a number of things. One is to have more of a conversation-style format so that the language isn't intimidating. Social mm. distancing six months ago wasn't in our everyday vocabulary. Mm. We try to make it relevant to stay a fishing rod length away or a moose <laughs> length away. And, you know, it's information coming from us, by us. Uh, so it tends to be a little bit more trusted as well because it's a community voice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and and so you've now got this second uh, phase starting uh, uh, with with these new weekly uh, updates for people. And what what can people anticipate this time around? Well, uh, today, for example, we will have Dr. Evan Adams, Chief Medical Officer of First Nations and Inuit Health Branch, talk about what the stats are across Turtle Island. We'll also hopefully hear some direction on what to do this weekend and what not to do in terms of uh, eating that turkey in our own household. Uh, we're also going to have a dialogue uh, talking about you know, some of the circumstances surrounding Joyce's death in Quebec, 
Uh, we're going to bring back partners like Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, First People's Wellness Circle, to talk about addictions and our mental uh, health during this time. We'll keep uh, reaching out to partners to make sure that their information gets out. We have the Canadian Red Cross next week who will be chatting about their response during this crisis. So it's a, a mix of many voices, but all relevant to First Nations health specifically. And this again is, is being broadcast uh, weekly on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern? That's correct. And is it a, a two-way conversation? You mentioned it's very conversational and you try to bring the, the information to people in ways that, that is not very technical uh, or jargon-heavy. Um, are there call-ins? Can people call in and ask questions or, or make comments? We actually um, do have a medium that we use for people to ask questions. So we do have an email address for all of the listeners and viewers to send an email if they have a question. Sometimes it's not relevant to that show, uh, but maybe a forward coming. So we do keep a list and ask that our guests uh, respond to the questions in the inbox. That inbox address is fnhma at ihtoday.ca. Great. The other thing is, once these are completed, do they stay online for people to go back and access later in case they want to, you know, go over some other some of the information or just uh, use it again for internal purposes in their own organizations? Absolutely. We keep these on the ihtoday.ca website. We also have them on FNHMA Facebook. A number of organizations are allowing us to host on their web pages as well. So that information isn't going away. It's there for people to go back. I know a number of people love the teaching of the bear that Dr. Uh, Brenda Ristool and Carol Hopkins talked about, and that's very popular. Uh, so absolutely always there. And of course, FNHMA is here if people have questions regarding COVID-19 through InfoPoint as well. So mm. another medium where people can email or call in and we'll get a response back to you in 30 minutes. So for all those hardworking health directors who are bombarded by information, let us roll up our sleeves and do the digging for you. Right. That's that's great, Marion. What do you think is different? You mentioned social distancing this time round in now that we're into um, the second phase of COVID-19. What else do you think has changed as you look forward uh, to these town halls that you, you are thinking about trying to get out there for information for people? Well, we want to ensure that the messages we're getting out is matching the evolving science that is coming out as well. Um, you know, it just seems like a whirlwind these last six months. And we were talking about PPE and how to access it. Then we were talking about, do we wear a mask? Don't we wear a mask? Mm. And now like that language is wear a mask, right? Mm. And what does that look like in terms of providing health services? So we want to be consistent, but also evolve as the science and the information evolves as well. I guess the other thing, of course, is there's many remote communities. First Nation communities are remote. They don't always have the same access to health services. Uh, this information, I guess, would be very valuable for those communities. And also, 
Um, what else would you say it helps with in terms of those communities? Well, there's a number of uh, things that factor into supporting those northern and isolated uh, communities and nations. It's, you know, broadcasting on radio stations like Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's also about having a medium where people can email when they don't have an opportunity, if they have the bandwidth. We also showcased an Indigenous uh, community Uh, sorry, a First Nation community who was uh, isolated, uh, the typical, you know, ice road, and uh, showcased what it was like to be on a front line in an isolated community Mm. from a nursing perspective. And it gives people a sense of uh, community. I'm not in this alone. There are peers out there who are facing the same thing. And really, we're all about wanting just to... Uh, thank those people who are keeping the nation safe and providing them with the information they need. You know, you know, when you when you say that, what comes to mind is this must be, in some respects, a relief for those frontline workers to have that support, to know that they're not alone, and to be able to access and talk with others just as a bit of a stress reliever for themselves. Absolutely. And I mean, outside of COVID-19, that's what FNHMA is all about, creating a family, creating a network. So when that health director has a horrible day, they have a peer who is in the same situation, can call up that they may have met in an FNHMA course, uh, but they really have that network where they can just vent and uh, be safe and stay committed to the community in which they're serving and not quit their jobs. Let's retain <laughs> those health professionals. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, what about accessing PPE? You mentioned personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Do, is, that, is, that, uh, is that easier for remote communities now, do you think? I mean, the pressures are easing up a bit in terms of access. I know the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business has done an amazing job at highlighting uh, Aboriginal businesses that are providing PPE. Mm. And, you know, we really need to buy local, support local, and buy First Nations. So Mm. we're so happy that they've got that. We keep a running database of uh, companies that are Indigenous that have PPE as well. So I feel like that's easing up. However, we still have to remember there are organizations like BIO who will send in Ontario communities uh, shipments at no cost of PPE as well. So we thank all of these partners who are doing amazing jobs. I think BIO has delivered over a quarter of a million masks now to First Nation communities in Ontario. Mm. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest on Moment of Truth is Marion Crow. She is the CEO of the First Nations Health Managers Association or FNHMA, and we're talking about Indigenous health care as well as, and, and more importantly, their town halls, which they have uh, they've started again 
Um, they have them running in the first uh, uh, part of COVID-19. Now uh, that uh, we're into the second wave, uh, they're, they're starting them up again. Uh, Marion, one of the things you, you referred to earlier was the fact that, yes, we're into the fall, and now it's not only uh, the language that we were speaking about, that we didn't speak about in the first phase, like social distancing and wearing a mask and, 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 and some of those things that we came out of, but also it's flu season. And, and flu uh, is going to add some confusion or at least some stress for people, for sure. Absolutely. It's going to, you know, add a whole new stress on the healthcare system that's already taxed. We have to be diligent this year. We have to keep washing our hands. We have to get our vaccinations. It's so important that at this time we get those flu shots. We go into the health center, get that needle because really the, the accumulation of, uh, the COVID-19 and the flu season coming on, it, it's really going to put our health systems in a trying spot. Uh, we always see the surge capacity of mainstream hospitals increase over the fall and in the winter. So let's, you know, help them out as well by helping ourselves and getting those immunizations done. Marion, what are you hearing or seeing from the the people you're speaking with in terms of how how people are health systems are dealing with this provincially from province to province? As we know, uh, every province is is has has different stages that they're implementing things differently. I'm just even thinking about how uh, testing is being done now for COVID nineteen, and and what what are you hearing about that? How is that adding to to um, Uh, some of the stress or confusion? Well, especially in Ontario and Quebec, we hear shifting messages around how to get tested, when to get tested, where to get tested, and it's ever evolving. I think in other regions where the numbers are high, uh, they're having the same challenges as well. I'm really excited, though, that there are partnerships happening where rapid testing is Mm. occurring in the nation. Hmm. There's, you know, COVID testing sites that are mobile. I think about uh, uh, Big Stone First Nation in Alberta, who is having uh, a pilot on the rapid testing. And so I'm excited that these are getting into the hands of nations to administer themselves. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, of course, the other thing with, with relaunching these town halls, which are airing every Thursday, uh, going live from uh, 1 p.m., they're an hour long, and, yes. um, and uh, people can access them at, uh, at, what was the site again? People can watch those on a number of different platforms, mm-hmm. uh, but we go on ihtoday.ca, so that's Indigenous Health right. uh, website, and you can find us on multiple Facebook pages like APTN News, like FNHMA, and of course on your friendly radio stations <laughs> like Element FM. Right, so that's uh, ihtoday.ca is where people can go there to find out information to access the the uh, live broadcast. Uh, exactly, and want to make sure that people hear those uh, hear those dates in case they want to access them again. The other thing, though, that you are uh, you are having a, a special uh, sort of uh, uh, virtual celebration as well on uh, November fourth. 
We are, and thank you for uh, providing a moment for us to talk about that with your listeners at Element FM. We typically have a national gathering, a conference every year. It's always the first week of November, but in light of this crisis, we've decided you know, we don't take the easy route at FNHMA, and it would have been easy just to cancel that celebration. Instead, we decided more than ever now mm. is the time to thank all of our members, that whole front line of health workers who are protecting and keeping our nation safe. So we're having a virtual celebration on November 4th from 1 to 4 Eastern, and uh, we're just thrilled to have three hours of celebrating, honoring, thanking, messages of hope, gratitude. We're also going to celebrate the 2020 newly certified First Nation health managers who have come through our program, and we're going to give an award of excellence. The deadline closes Friday, October the 9th for that nomination, but we will recognize someone who has been doing outstanding work managing in these difficult times. That sounds wonderful. And, you know, I think you're right. Uh, now that we're into this uh this second wave of COVID-19, I think you're right. I think we do need something to celebrate. And, and this is going on and on. Uh, so uh, as, we, as we turn to, uh, to our, our online celebrations and our online um, uh, live performances, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you're going to be having some live performances, I understand, some, some musical guests. Absolutely, we are. We've got Crystal Schwanda already lined up. She's going to be singing a song from her new album. We have other special guest speakers. Um, If you are, and I know I'm speaking to Toronto and Ottawa, (laughs) but if you happen to be a Habs fan, Carrie Price is even (laughs) sending out a message of thanks. So uh, it'll be you know, folks like that who want to partake and celebrate with the organization and with all of our frontline health service uh, delivery folks. That sounds wonderful, Marion. Congratulations, uh, you know, on, on being able to do this and bring some some joy and some some encouragement to people with this, uh, with what you're doing with, of course, the weekly uh, uh, town halls as well as this uh, this this celebration on November the 4th from 1 to 4 in the afternoon Eastern. Um, we're quickly running out of time. Anything else you care to to um, mention that we haven't touched on yet, Marion? Um, you know what? I just want to give a huge thank you to everybody who is keeping us safe, to all of the radio stations like Element FM and others who are getting the information out check out and subscribe to ihtoday.ca. It'll give you a weekly health briefing as well. And a huge uh, miigwetch to all of the partners who are making this possible, but also to the FNHMA family, the staff and board who uh, took a, a leap of faith and who had the insight and we're nimble enough to adapt to, to provide this timely, relevant, and accurate information. So just a, a huge uh, 
collective hug to everybody <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> right. And and once again, uh, Marion, those uh, the First Nation Health uh, Managers Association's uh, town halls are going to run Thursdays from one o'clock uh, Eastern time uh, for an hour up until December the third. Uh, that is correct. And people can find out more by going to ihtoday.ca. Now, there's also your other, the other website, the fnma.ca site. What can people find out there? Sure. People can check out fnhma.ca, find out information about how to participate in this day of celebration. Mm. I know there are companies who work with the Indigenous community, have corporate social responsibility, and want to participate through sponsorship. They can find information on that. If there's anybody listening that says, hey, I've got a good track to share with them, get in touch with us. If you are a powwow person, get that regalia on. To film yourself in a video and send it to us so that we can lift up, raise up, and stand shoulder to shoulder with all of our health professionals. Nicely said, Marion. Uh, we'll have to end it there, but thank you again so much for, for taking the time to join us on the show to share what you're doing at the First Nations Health Managers Association with your weekly uh, virtual town halls and the celebration coming up on November the 4th. And we really look forward to having you back on the show at a later time, perhaps with some some other we can let's look at some uh, hopefully you have some some good news that we won't be talking about COVID at that time how's that wouldn't that be wonderful and thank you so much for taking an interest in what we're doing at FNHMA you bet Onishi, and uh, take care hi hi all right. That's Marion Crow. She is the CEO of the First Nations Health Managers Association, speaking to us here on Moment of Truth and Element FM about their virtual town halls that they are holding every Thursday from 1 p.m. Eastern Time up until December the 3rd. And don't forget about their celebration coming up on November the 4th from 1 to 4 in the afternoon. Sounds like a great event. That is our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time here on Moment of Truth. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM.